0: This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. Player three, we have some exciting news. We've reached our subscription goal and will now be dropping episodes weekly. Thank you for all of your support and joining us in this journey. We hope you share and recommend our little show to anyone you think might like it. Okay, let's get into it. In this episode, why your friends are more popular than you. I want you to picture your three or four closest friends, maybe a spouse or sibling, maybe friends from college or your childhood bestie. Picture big get togethers like Friendsgiving, bachelor bachelorette parties, or just a backyard get together. Now ask yourself, do your friends have more friends than you do? Doesn't it seem like they have a whole slew of adjacent social circles beyond the one that you're in? Well, they do. Your friends are more popular than you. It's a mathematical fact but it makes zero sense. How can that be true of every person in the world? Wouldn't we run out of people? It's called the friendship paradox. It's a mathematical observation, and it is the backbone of networking, marketing, and epidemiology as we know it. And welcome to episode 43 of Game Theory, a podcast about strategy and competition and decision making. And this morning, it is a podcast about one of us very badly needing a cup of coffee. Um, And one one of of us seems to have mistimed partying for the weekend.
1: As you know, we're big college football fans here on this podcast. Huge. Slate of games coming up for this Saturday. We're recording on this on a on a Saturday. A lot of good NFL games, too, but, man, today is just going to be awesome. So, Player 3, we hope Nick can recover in time to enjoy the rest of his day. We hope he didn't blow it all on her, early on a Friday night.
0: Yeah, I, I imagine there's going to be a bit of a dad nap at some point today, like where I, like, watch the game through my closed eyelids. You do that anyway. <laughs>
1: yeah. You do the dad nap anyway, and then yeah. Kim's going to go in, and she's going to want to watch what she wants to watch, right. and you're going to wake up and say you were watching that. Mm-hmm. You're not going to know what quarter it is. You're not going to know what the teams are that are playing. It's going to be in the middle of a commercial, and you're going to get mad because you were dozing off and you got
0: caught. Yeah, but Kim can't watch anything interesting, my wifey, because she has to do stuff, and if she watches things that are interesting, she won't do stuff. She'll watch the thing, and then I will get in Mm -hmm. trouble for letting her watch the thing. This has happened with 30 Rock and How I Met Your Mother and multiple shows. We've all been there, really. Yeah, absolutely. And other places we've been, Chris, are that are – We All of us have friends that have more friends than us. We're talking about the friendship paradox, which is a weird thing that has to do with how we perceive ourselves and how it just seems like everyone is so much more popular than we are. Yeah, we got a really, really interesting topic today. So, Nick, I just want to let you know,
1: it's not you. It's math. (laughs) It's math. Okay. The (laughs) fact that you have fewer friends than your friends (laughs) do is actually an established mathematical fact. This is one of the coolest kind of like, like linked things to game theory that I think that we will have covered on this show cuz it's it's not it's not directly like it's not a specific example of a type of game theory, but it is a consequence of the mathematics that underlies game theory. And it's super, super interesting, really fascinating topic here. And I kind of stumbled upon this recently, but people have known about this for, for quite some time. I, I think the first discovery of it was by a guy named Scott Feld, mm-hmm. who is a sociologist, and he established this in a, in a paper in 1991. He was writing in the 1900s. The 1900s. About <laughs> this concept.
0: Uh, uh, so we're going to get into that, and it's really exciting. It's kind of a weird math things we haven't done a math we've done news and sports and stuff fall we're gonna do that but first we have some exciting announcements we said many moons ago that if we get a thousand subscribers we'll do it weekly while we're there and uh i wouldn't call us the most organized people on the planet but here we are chris we made a commitment and i think we can do it weekly for a year and if the show continues to grow well, we'll do it in perpetuity and then we'll quit our jobs and we'll go on tour and we won't have to do anything hard yeah, this is kind of a fun topic to be doing on this particular
1: episode, mm-hmm. because now, Player 3, it's up to you and your friends, and your friends' friends, more importantly, yeah, uh, get get as many likes, rates, reviews, subscribes, whatever, and Nick, we have a responsibility now because the only way to make our future threats credible, we've been threatening <laughs> this for a long time, the only yeah. way to add credibility to those future threats is to actually start producing weekly content, so we're very excited to be doing that, we got a lot of really interesting topics coming up. We're going to continue with some of our classics. We're going to talk about some over-the-board games. Yep. We're going to talk about the Fraudster Files. Yeah, We're not yeah. done with those. We're not, not even close. Just we haven't scratched the surface literally on Fraudster starting. Files.
0: Correct. Um, we got a lot of good stuff coming um, up. Another big announcement, and I said I would do this, and then I was like, whoa, it's actually really hard, but now I'm ready. <laughs> uh we're launching a weekly newsletter so the 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 weekly day that we're going to publish is going to be on tuesday there's a couple reasons for that one is because if you like this podcast and also like sports and news mondays are like a sports and news what the hell happened day and we just don't want to get lost in the shuffle with that and we don't yeah well you can have us on tuesdays the podcast or the the newsletter will be available in your inbox every friday it will be a link to this podcast, of course, a blog with some thoughts and some rundowns on the episode. And then it will include a couple summaries of weird articles that we're reading that weren't quite good enough for podcasts and not like there's nothing to debate. It's just kind of weird stuff I found. For example, some uh, grad students at Duke University in Singapore, which is some th- a thing that exists and or is it Singapore? I think it's in Singapore. They found that Genomic researchers are having a difficult time entering the genes that they're researching into Excel because Excel autocorrects them to dates. Like, there's an M <laughs> M A R O one date, and that Excel's like March first, and they're like, No, not March first. <laughs> they, they they need to get to know the formatting. Like,
1: right. you get you got you can't format things as a date. You got to format as other thing and customize it. Like, you right. have to do that manually, man, or well, you so, can get some genius to uh, to write a little <laughs> macro for that's you so what it they doesn't did. do
0: that. That's what they did. And now, not only that, but nobody knows what genes are anymore, so this macro also makes sure your genes are up to date. I can't think how much Excel has ruined genomic researchers and where we would be as a society if these people didn't knew how to use Excel properly. I've been saying this for years.
1: Can you imagine how powerful America would be if everybody either A, knew everything about Microsoft Office, or B, it didn't suck all the time? If we had reliable... IT infrastructure yeah. like we would have conquered the planet we would have started colonizing outer space like we would be an indestructible intellectual force but alas we're held back by quirks of software
0: right um, it's exactly for us. It's, it, it is incredibly annoying another example of an article that will be summarized um a review by Pointer Institute, the Journalism Institute, about how journalists deal with obituaries and all of your newspapers and things have like a thousand or two just ready to go. That's why the Washington Post was able to publish the obit of Queen Elizabeth immediately. Like, oh, they no, they've been working on it to the point where when celebrities and things will become like 80 or 90, they'll kind of like inch their way into their lives and they will do a pre-death obit interview. That happens all the time. So that kind of thing is in there. It's this newsletter. It,
1: it makes me... Glad that we're not famous and we'll never be famous because, man, just, like, how harrowing would it be? You got some, like, 33-year-old journalist that's like, this is going to be my big break and, like, look at the hard work I did. Like, this is going to be a resume point for some kid. And then you're, like, 85 years old and you're like, well, the best part of my life is well behind me. Mm -hmm. Friends and family that I have known and loved for years are dying and uh, my road is narrowing. More and more by the day. Would you say your life was worth it? Speaking to the interview. mic,
0: please. This was speaking to the mic. Was it? How was your life? Out of out of ten stars, seven, seven. Yeah, but you had that weird thing. I would thing say in the 80s. six and a half. Six and a half. Um, we're also going to do something about who we're following. Uh, for example, the woman that would be in this newsletter if it published this week would be her name is Sarah Morajad. She is a science communicator, and she is on Twitter just in, just shouting from the rooftops like, hey, there might be a genocide happening in Ethiopia and Tigray right now. People should pay attention to it. So she's that kind of thing. All this will be in the newsletter. The link to sign up for the newsletter is in the show notes. And now that we have screwed around with announcements, we want to tell you, if you give us a five-star rating on Apple, that helps literally more than anything except telling all your friends and making them listen. Like physically watch them pull their phone out and just play it. And then and then and then unplay it and then play it again, and that's w- the thing that will help us the most. Yeah, do that awkward thing where you find a really funny video and you want everybody in your life to experience
1: the same joy. And, and it there. comes from a place of purity and love and motivation. Mm-hmm. Like you just want your friends to experience what you experience. And then you force them to watch that thing and it's right. like really painful. In and front they make the jokes at the same like pace that you do. Yeah. And it's just it's just not good. We need you to do that.
0: Yeah. Do we need <laughs> with you to the go podcast. ahead and do that? Yeah, like these guys are it's actually they're gonna say like, well, it's actually really good. Just, just gotta, gotta give it some time. It's actually just give it,
1: yeah, it. That's that's the phrase. That's like like what's that uh, phrase on Scrubs when uh, when what's her name's telling what's his name how to like really woo a woman? The phrase: "I'm so glad I found you." I'm so glad. The phrase I for found the you. phrase for you, Player Three is: "They're actually pretty good." They're
0: actually, it's actually pretty good. Okay. With all that aside, YouTube, like, rate, review, email us. Uh, we're going to be better at responding to the people that do get in touch with us. We're going to have more guests on the show. It's a big time for us. Let's see if we can do this. It's uh, Maybe we talk a little bit too much shit. And speaking of that, let's get into this friendship paradox thing, Chris. Um, it is weird. You sent it to me and you're like, we have to do this. And I was like, this makes no sense. So let's. What what is it from like the first paragraph of the Wikipedia page? What is the friendship paradox? The
1: friendship paradox is a sociological phenomenon. It was first observed, as I said, at the top of the show by this guy named Scott Feld in 1991. He was a researcher of social networks. And the the paradox itself is that, on average, your friends have more friends than you do. And it's a very (laughs) weird thing to think about because you think, well, okay pretty much everybody is pretty similar in social circles. And you know, if I don't have a lot of friends, then probably the people I hang around with don't have a lot of friends. And it just seems really strange. Like there, there doesn't seem to be any kind of like biological or sociological reason that other some people would be more popular. And all of those people are like surrounding you on this lonely island of loneliness without your friends. Uh, but it's a really interesting phenomenon. And the way that Scott Feld figured out that this was a thing was that he was studying, uh, as I said, social networks. And, and of course, the term social networking way predates the the online social media phenomenon. I mean, your social network is just the organization of people and institutions that are around you with which you interact on a day-to-day basis. You'd say, I'm friends with this guy. He's part of your social network. Uh, Fell calculated... Uh, the average number of friends that any participant in a network has. And then he compared that to the average number of friends that these people have. So if you have 10 friends, then your average number of friends is 10. And then he did that for each individual in the network. And then he would take each of those first order connections to you, each of those 10 friends, and, and average the number of friends that they all had. And to his surprise, every time the second number the second average was bigger than the first the average number of friends of friends was bigger than the average number of like first order connections in that social network and it's just this fascinating phenomenon and it doesn't ha- have anything to do with like the nature of friendship it's just a, f- a characteristic of networking so nick this has applications all over the place right twitter follows sexual partners number of co-authors on papers for scientific publications Which the list crazy. goes on yeah. and it's a really cool thing that eventually links back to game theory but you know, I I think you know, we, we we all probably have had this feeling of like, Why are all my friends having fun and I'm over here by myself? Like, well it's you know, of. there's a mathematical reason for that.
0: Yeah. And so we'll get into that in a second. I do want to say that one one part of this that's important in and me as a medical journalist, I love how data works and I often can be caught on Twitter shouting at people in Sports circles who have recently learned how data work and they're just like using retrospective low sample data to draw conclusions and they're like, look at the analytics like no, no. So we got to talk about the friendship paradox does uh, dabble into something called sampling bias, which means that it, it it's not quite a fact, which is part of why it's a paradox It doesn't make any sense. And, and part of that is because the sample sizes are a little weird, and there's just no way to go about that because you can't, like, hey, let's birth 200,000 people and then see if their friends are really have more friends than them. That would be illegal. Unless go to and, China or India. Yeah, that, that does seem like something that is probably perhaps underway, but it is not something that we he can do and also make a podcast about. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we don't. We don't have the funding for that. We absolutely do not. So, like, that's part of the deal. Okay. it's so like, and that and that's important to me because people. I had a, a doctor who's in his seventies tell me once that the data is really just a hostage, and if you torture it enough, it'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's yeah, so that, true. that's
1: such a good point. Like, we, how many times on the show have we complained about this? Like, this this compulsive need to just beat the hell out of raw data right. until we can say, like, oh yes. I've connected the number of average number of leaves that fall on the
0: ground to the success rate of people who bet in the second round of the NCAA championship. Like, stop it. Exactly. Or like Maryland is good at football when it's crabbing season, which is like a thing, you know. Yeah, it's because they play terrible teams early on. Right, exactly. Sampling bias is is part of this deal. Okay, so explain to me how the fuck this can happen. Because it makes no sense that everybody that you know is more popular than you. How does this happen? Yeah, so the underlying math behind the
1: friendship paradox is really the key here, and, and and it's through that math that we'll get actually get back to true game theory as such. Uh, according to uh, the MIT Technology Review, which gives a good history of this uh, this phenomenon, this paradox, the, the paradox arises because people's social networks are not defined by linear relationships. So a linear relationship would be like, okay, everybody has the same number of friends all the way across. Uh, but the the shape of networks, like social networks, they're like a three-dimensional construct where you, like each person is like a node, and every connection between them can be physically drawn with some kind of line or curve. And those things aren't just like nice, even grids like it where everybody is occupying the same space and it looks like a big square or rectangle. It, it, it doesn't look like that. Instead, it's a a really complex polymorph three-dimensional structure that's really, really phenomenal, like, really interesting uh, to map. And the mathematics that describe the number of linkages in that network, uh, that's understood by something called the power law relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you... So this is like reaching back into the deep recesses of your brain. This would have been like in the sixth grade when you started learning what
0: exponents were. Nick, do you remember exponents? No, I uh, no, absolutely not. But uh, yeah, kind of, they're the thing, that the little numbers
1: yeah they're the little numbers that are up and to the right they look like a, like an asterisk or a little citation yeah it's it's
0: it it, exponential growth is a, way, a number times itself or a number times itself times itself times itself or whatever and it, it, it it's like it's it's not linear growth like x over y it's like enormous growth it's it's unpredictable almost at a certain point that's well what i mean think
1: think it. about it this way if you want to increase the size of a sample if you have like one i don't know just use apples if you have one apple and you want to increase the number you could add one more apple and then add one more apple and then right, add, right, another, right. add another add another and another and so you go one and then two and then three and then four and then five and you go on forever that's a linear growth example because you're consistently adding the same number but exponents in the power law have to do with like you the 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 size by which each step increases Mm -hmm. depends on this on the previous size so instead of adding the same number each time if you wanted to say double the number of apples well go from one to two and then you double that number again and you go yeah, from two to four, it's and the you double edge. it again, and get to eight, and to sixteen. What? So that's a that's an exponential growth, and so each successive step is far far bigger than the last.
0: It's uh, our dad explained this to us with the old thing, um, the chessboard thing. Remember the chessboard thing where this is an old medieval thing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What the what you say? Where the the this this peasant helped out the king, and the the king said, well, what would you like in in return? And the peasant said. I would like two grains of rice and I would like it that amount to double for each square on the chessboard. And by the end, he owned the kingdom.
1: Yeah, the the way Dad said it
0: uh, has stuck with me
1: forever. He said, it like broke the king. (laughs) My God. Like, he meant that in a way of like... Like, first of all, like, shout outs to Dad. Like, Dad has like a really good vocabulary. He he used that word in a way that's like, broke means he removed all the king's money, but also it has this like other effect where this peasant ruined the kingdom. So... He does. He, you know, he plays like smarter stuff.
0: than he appears based on his his Michiganderness. Well, fuck. <laughs> Takes so a saying, tall dog. We are going to have to have him on a show.
1: We have we have to have him on. as show but but yeah, that, that's exactly the way that you would describe it. It's so like if you double mm-hmm. the number of grains of rice on each square on a chessboard, that's two to the sixty fourth power which is and bananas. Th- i mean that number is quite literally astronomical i mean yeah. like that's when you get to numbers that big you're describing like the distance between stars right in terms of miles and stuff. so this power law relationship has all kinds of applications in in nature like i said it's like the the natural shape of networks it, it's described by the power law right and because it's not a predictable single growth linear relationship uh the power law like demonstrates that each successive step is going to be bigger so that means that your first order connections your friends that step is going to be smaller than the next step which is your friends of friends yeah so, so first cousin, that's second why when, sure. when you always when you like when you look at the number of friends that your Facebook friends have for example it's on average it's always going to be higher because of that mathematical power law relationship it's a really really interesting phenomenon and it it has to do with the, the mathematics that describe the geometry of networks. Mm.
0: That's and, okay. So it, it, yeah, and it's a weird thing because it seems to me that like it, it this again seems like a data point where like it's, it's also looking at it a certain way because it's just, it doesn't make any sense that it could be theoretically possible that this person meets that person and that there would be anything under, other than random at how many friends they have. But then you also start to think about the social interactions of humans and it does make a ton of sense because if someone meets someone else, and they become friends, then one of them or both of them are probably very likely to be good at making friends. So someone is adding them to a bigger collection. That's the deal, right? So like I have thousands of Facebook friends. Mathematically, Facebook limits the number of friends that you can have at five thousand, so there is a cap. I have so many Facebook friends that because at one point I just I wanted to do it for marketing purposes, and now. Facebook has punched me in the algorithm and nobody it's can see my paid shit. paid off handsomely. It's only taken us 18 months Correct. to get to a thousand followers Correct. on a podcast. Everybody loves when you advertise your podcast on Facebook. They're like, oh yeah, here I go. Oh yeah, constant <laughs> interactions. People love that. Thanks everybody. They, they're all about it. But I have this. So, and when I add someone to to my friend group, I'm like, it's unlikely that they have more friends than me, but that's uh, that's the, the oddity. That's, the, that's not the norm. It, because I've added them, it's likely that I have more friends because I'm adding them. Right? Right. Well, and and what you're saying
1: gets to, I I think this has like really interesting political implications too. I mean, if you think about like American politics, I mean, we're we're not, we're not going to talk about any political issues here on this episode, (laughs) but if you think about like, we live in a representative democracy where people get to elect their local officials, their state officials, their federal officials, by which I mean pretty much the president and in theory, you'd think like, okay, there should be like some kind of uniformity. There should be some kind of like random bias here. But like in addition to the selection biases that drive like-minded people to live in similar places and, and vote for similar people, uh, th- this power law relationship also highlights, I think, a really interesting kind of consequence of the uh, of the mathematics here, and that's the uh, the eighty twenty rule.
0: You heard of that? Oh yeah. I mean, it's I've I've heard it described uh, passive aggressively as how group. Assignments are done in college? Yes, yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah so
1: it's, it's it's called the Pareto Principle and it's named after a guy and we'll talk, I'm going to talk about him here in a little bit because yeah, yeah. this is like one of the last connections back to game theory. So this uh, this Pareto Principle says that for many outcomes, for like on average, yeah, outcomes of whatever scenarios are, roughly 80% of the consequences are attributable to 20% of the causes. Yeah. So th- these are like, you can refer to these as like the vital few. Yeah, And in, like, a political system, you can think of it as, like, okay, the ultra-wealthy, the ultra-powerful, like, the the celebrity status. I mean, Elon Musk has way more influence than any, like, group of a 1,000 random people. And it's because everybody knows his name. Everybody knows his presence. He has a ton of money. He has companies that are really strategically important. So, like, this small portion causes most of the effects. Right. And it's really, like, I think you can... Make a case for like political activism for or against that kind of dynamic. But it really is a consequence of like all other things being equal. The shape of social and political networks lend themselves to this power law relationship where a few causes generate most of the consequences. So it doesn't have anything to do with like, I don't know, the dignity of participants in a democracy. And it doesn't have anything to do with like the intrinsic. Value of like inequality, and it has everything to do with the mathematics of how networks are designed and what their influence looks like. And the, the, the power law, the exponential growth between steps in a network, I think, is really the, the the key thing to understand here for why, like, power tends to concentrate in an otherwise equal democracy and why our politicians have such outsized influence. You know, it's not just because they're elected officials. It's because, like, the shape of networks lend themselves to
0: this Pareto principle, this eighty twenty rule, where most of the effects are driven by fewest of the causes. So I have some thoughts on this because it seems to me, and this is, like, one of my most enjoyable debates that I've gotten into. So I have been working very hard to become like an actual YouTube consumer. I use YouTube for highlights and workouts essentially and like everybody around me is like the, the Gen Zers grew up on YouTube. So, well, I fucking did it and I don't understand that I don't get why everybody loves it so much but I'm trying really hard. So <laughs> I get on TikTok <laughs> and then I find these people who just they regurgitate YouTube videos on TikTok and it's a great way to get TikTok followers and then you just owe the YouTuber money which is like a great not a bad business plan. That, to be that's honest. Not, you
1: you got inv- to spend money make money baby.
0: Correct. So what, this, what they do is like hey I'm just repurposing your content and like either A You'll get money or B, you'll get viewers and YouTubers like fucking yeah, do that, please. And then the TikTokers will have like 20 accounts. Anyway, so I start on TikTok, I find videos and I've been getting into mathematics, like PhD level crazy mathematics videos. They're just really fun, like all of these unsolved proofs and things. And one of the bigger one of the bigger things that I can't like stop thinking about, and everybody thinks about this when they're like seven years old, is like is math invented or observed? So this eighty twenty rule to me in the friendship paradox is like is this just our best way of explaining the fact that some people are more important and that the, we've just simply put a shape to a thing that's inherent and that shape isn't quite perfect. And that's why it's a paradox, right? So you see like the phenomena of the unexplained. There are a lot of people out there that are like, it's unexplained, but that doesn't mean it's like paranormal. It just means we don't understand physics the way that we thought we did. So this to me is that like, it's, it's so obvious that wow. perhaps the eighty twenty rule is just our best way of describing the situation. Cause I was in a, in a group project for my my senior year of college and it was a journalism thing we were going to make this documentary about um a really shitty error that a guy made in a baseball game and there were five of us and these two guys mathematically they did majority of the stuff and i remember them going into my professor and being like i was there and i because I, they gave me a b plus in the project. It's like I, I didn't get in the way but i didn't do anything but i was like i told the professor i was there there was nothing for me to do so the work was limited the, and being there got in the way. It's like, I know that there are five of us, but you want me to re-interview a dude? Like, what, do, what the fuck do you want me to do? So I'm thinking that the 80-20 thing is, and Dale blew my mind with this, and this is how I'm going to conclude my little rant here, is that he said he read in some, one of his Eastern medicine books, which is so weird that he's into that, but God love him. Is, is he into that now? <laughs> kind of. He's very, he's very meditative. He's underrated in meditative and positivity. He's into the law of attraction and shit. Okay. Well, can I tell
1: you something? We watched Doctor Strange. The oh, Marvel yeah. Cinematic Universe classic, where they introduce uh,
0: magic to the Marvel universe, sure. Oh yeah, and he was like all about. It. He's like, this is the future right here. Yeah, no, he and and um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, and but doctors will tell you that there's things that have been happening in the eastern part of the globe that like we don't know why this works, but it works, and these people have been really successful at it. Anyway, the idea, the idea for me is that like he said one time that effort and willpower is a limited resource. And I started thinking about that. I was like, well, what if just general productivity and work is a limited resource, right? So in the 80, 20 paradox, like it makes sense that people would have all of these causes. Cause there's just not enough, uh, like willpower work to exist for me to be as influential as Elon Musk without him losing it. So like the, the amount of influence is finite, right? That's sort yeah. of what I'm thinking here. Yeah. And, and,
1: you're exactly, I mean, that's an exact good way to describe, how, like, how, how does this percolate down to, like, the level of the individual? How do right. the, the the Pareto principle and the this friendship paradox, like, the consequence of that, how does that percolate down to you at, like, the personal level? Well, I think phrasing it that way, like, willpower and effort, like, that's a finite resource. You can only give so much. And then it, you can similarly only put so much of it into a system. I mean, it's right. not about collecting buckets of sweat. I mean, there's sometimes there's just only so much to go around. And so I, I think that's where one of these like cognitive disconnects comes from in situations where like, it would be awesome if everybody in the world, for example, had gainful employment, it would just yeah. be really nice if everybody could go out during the day, do something that is productive and valuable and fulfilling and whatever else and get a, good paycheck and pay for their bills and then come home at the end of the day Uh, but that's just not how the economy works i mean like there's a finite amount of unemployment that has to persist in order for other economic levers to have freedom to operate and generate growth and i think you're right i mean like that that's one of the consequences of having this like 80 20 relationship like you can only put so much you can only cram so much volume into a limited container and I I think Dad obviously he's a a wise man, wise yeah. beyond his many don't many, tell him. Do many, tell him that. many,
0: many years. Many years. Not enough. But
1: <laughs> but I, I think that's as good
0: a way to, to phrase it as anything else. Yeah, I think I mean I, I think I think that's what's happening here, but when the reason that it seems like a paradox is because we can't like we don't know how to quantify the existence of influence, right? And that's yeah, it's, and
1: it's not intuitive, too. I mean, from from the very bottom of the piles, like if you're if you're in the eighty percent who are unable to contribute to the majority of the causes, it feels like you know your effort is futile. Your participation in democracy is meaningless. Your vote is just going to get lost in the wind, like a you know, like a fart in a hurricane. It it doesn't it doesn't add up because when you look around, you see people who are just like you, who are in your Entitled to exactly the same rights as you, who have the same responsibilities as you, and yet your influence is just completely overshadowed by people who are more powerful. Well, I mean, that doesn't intuit with like this desire to have a linear relationship between power and influence and like participation in democracy or like participation in a group of friends or participation in a group project. It should be the case that everybody gets to contribute equally, at least from an intuitive level, but the mathematics just don't allow for that. I mean, there's, there are finite resources and they're shaped like a power curve, like an exponential growth curve. They're not a linear ramp from A to B.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, we, we, we handle so much of basic geometry. It makes so much sense. And you look at a bridge and you're like, okay, like once we figured out that the cables hold it up and like, it's up and it's flat and it does this, it makes a ton of sense. When you start to conceptualize things that aren't quite like finite you can't touch them right we don't know what the hell is going on and the other weird part of what this podcast i think we do a great job of getting into if i want to pat ourselves on the back is that humans can also at any point in time be like fuck it i don't care anymore and bail and then that changes it makes math irrelevant like i don't care about this anymore we talk about the traveler's dilemma to me is the greatest part of game theory like yeah 70 bucks is fine i'm good bye and like well that doesn't make any sense you should keep bidding down Like, nah, i'm good yeah i've been talking about this a lot recently i
1: want to shout out to uh to a listener my buddy mike uh, he's been he's been evangelizing the traveler's dilemma for weeks and weeks now. I was listening to the episode about it. it really interesting concept but, but you're right. I mean, like one of the one of the really cool things about participation in like human systems and human networks is that people can just elect to kind of opt out. At a moment's notice, and that that does change the dynamics. Uh, you know, the system is still describable in a mathematical sense, but it doesn't make for a theoretically perfect model, and that complicates all kinds of like sociological research and you know interpersonal relationships, and like complicates psychology and it complicates politics. It does, and I think it just it, it, that keeps game theory really interesting. Like the theory in itself is hard enough, but like accounting for people's biases and stuff. I mean, it's never going to end this study of like how people participate in cooperative or competitive situations
0: right and it makes because it's unpredictable and we have to combine like the aging process is just like a natural thing that exists like you think about like football or basketball or baseball or whatever like your greatest athlete they're going to get older and then like at be, the the debate that's always had is like is you know michael jordan's 80 percent better than everybody else's 100 percent. but the more interesting thing to me is like if you, if you remove the sports part of it and look at just the world you know rockefeller and andrew carnegie at the end of their lives they really wanted you know their legacy to matter more than all of the money they Made so they kind of had they were competing with each other on money for decades, and they're the most successful people, probably I would argue, ever in terms of like entrepreneurism and stuff. Like, they but at the end, what they wanted to do was out donate each other, so they're still fighting and they're still predicting like the Carnegie Hall and all Carnegie Mellon and all this shit. They did all that, but they're like, okay, what well, matters to me now is legacy, not growth, not money, not my family. Like, I want my name to live on in a positive way, so they, they did that. That could not have been predictable. 50 years prior everyone was like you're just giving away millions of dollars and like for a train station or like a music hall what the fuck is this it makes no sense and they're like yeah well this is what matters to me right and like, i and i oft, often have this this conversation like about getting married and whatnot and people are like well when you know you know and part of that is like you are are already are you're you know within yourself like i'm kind of done i'm ready to couple up and live in a borough and like that that's unpredictable and it's not like oh you changed like yeah dude what every day actually, kind people of do change and grow over the course of their day. lifetimes It's right. crazy well and anybody
1: who has watched house of the dragon oh, understands that history does not remember blood it remembers names oh dude i'm i'm being made to watch that show and it's just it's so like i don't know who anybody is oh yeah
0: so it's okay Okay, I can't okay. spoil it for anybody because cool. I could not remember the names of the characters. That'd be a great game theory episode. We talk about how fucking stupid sequels and prequels are. Oh um, God, except for one, Better Call Saul, which is better than Breaking Bad. We'll fight Captain anyway. America too. Okay, uh, but like again, like universe <laughs> and stuff. <we> could, okay, <laughs> regardless, their sidebar: House of the Dragons actress was they were doing a meet the actresses and they were asking each other questions and they were asking what your go to drink and the one girl's drink was a Spagliato Negroni and the way that oh, she said God. it. And then also the, the stuff like has caused an uproar on TikTok from bartenders being like, I can't wait for all of the, the lesbian influence. Like this person, is, I think I'm pretty sure she's a lesbian and she's like a big influence, like positive for people. Like I can't wait for all of these people to order this drink and then have never had Campari before. Oh, and God. then be like, gross. And a Spagliato yes. Negroni, for all of you that don't know, there's like red wine, sparkling wine and Campari. It's basically like a Campari spritz with red wine. That sounds absolutely disgusting. disgusting. That sounds gross. But this woman is a, she's the, I think she's one of the Targaryen queens. I'm not sure what she. See, plays you don't show. even know. You don't even know which one it is. No, I don't care. There's
1: a whole thing like that transcends the show, and you have no idea who this person
0: is. Right, I have no idea who the the Targaryen people are at all. But the Game of Thrones prequels are are significantly better for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, mm. I want to. I want to actually
1: break here and kind of change up. I promised uh, a little bit ago we want to talk about uh, Pareto,
0: this guy. Yeah, let's let's get back to the math. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm going to talk about the man a little bit. Uh, So first, the connection to game theory, Pareto efficiency, Pareto relationships, Pareto optimality is a term that we used very, very early on. when We were describing like one of the foundational episodes of the the podcast, which is the prisoner's dilemma. When you talk about the Nash equilibrium, uh, Pareto optimality is a condition that arises out of that game theory relationship. It's a situation where no, no personal preference can be improved unless you start taking away from others. So uh, you, you cannot gain any more until you start inducing more costs on everybody else. And so that's why when we talk about the Nash equilibrium, if you want to do a cooperate or don't cooperate, actually the best thing to do for Pareto optimality is to not cooperate because the point at which you choose to cooperate is when you start Uh, opening yourself up to inducing really, really high costs. And so mathematically, the best thing for you to do is for neither side to cooperate. And that's the Pareto optimum of that two-person prisoner dilemma system.
0: So... Uh, so we gotta, we have to imagine we're getting new listeners all the time. We talk about the national equilibrium all the time. That's the point at yeah. which the decisions are just basic and like it's a simple evenness. If we flipping a coin and, and um, rock paper scissors is the greatest way to describe it. Like eventually you're just tying all the time. Like it's doesn't you'll never there will never be an advantage because of the randomness of this.
1: Yeah, I mean you you no player in any system is incentivized to cooperate, like to deliberately yeah. give up some kind of gains. Uh, or, or to risk any kind of costs because the expected value that you can get is far, far lower if you actually cooperate. I mean, you could lose everything and it's, it's just not worth the risk.
0: It's interesting we never stumbled on this because this sounds an awful lot of like how American retailers fuck themselves on Black Friday. Well, we did talk about that. Yeah, the Pareto thing. Yeah, because that's, and that's what happens on Black Friday. Like, believe me, they're diving into Thanksgiving. They don't want to. It's costing them money, but they have to. And they're all doing it to each other.
1: Yes. Yes. That's so exactly they've right. they've, had, they've hit a Pareto optimum, and they're trying to stretch beyond that, and, and you can't do it because yeah. so there are basically like three Pareto conditions in in this kind of game theory relationship. So from the starting point, a Pareto improvement is a new situation where somebody is going to gain and nobody loses, so everybody benefits from participating in the system. Uh, a situation is called Pareto dominated if you could possibly have some kind of Pareto improvement. So until you reach that equilibrium point, the Pareto dynamic dominates and it drives people toward the equilibrium. And then the, finally, the situation is Pareto optimal if any change would lead to worsening of conditions for one of the players. So no change is actually the best thing for people to do. And uh, it's, a really, it, it's a really foundational part of game theory because that that is what influences players' decisions uh, in in the context of games. Uh, but this guy, Vilfred Pareto, uh, was kind of a piece of shit, unfortunately. Uh, he was Great. sympathetic to the uh, fascist Italian regime. So he, he was born in, uh, in 1848. He was born in Paris, and uh, and then he died in Switzerland. He was he was an Italian national. Uh, and originally, when he was writing about the 80-20 rule, the example that he published uh, was about the fact that 80% of Italian land was owned by just 20% of people. That sounds was, like a nice was,
0: healthy ratio actually compared to certain countries.
1: I mean, you know, it depends on who you ask, but mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, so he was he was really upset about that and this this concentration of wealth that was driven by the power law, the 80-20 rule, yeah. uh, he really didn't like that. And so he thought this is going to, he was sympathetic to Marxist ideas about how there's going to be this perpetual class warfare and it's always going to be these few causers versus this mass of people who, can only feel the effects of the system and not really influence it. And so his, his kind of ideal was to try to tear down this economic system and eventually get to a state of no government where we can have true economic liberty. In other words, he supported Benito Mussolini and the fascists in their attempts to, uh, destroy the Italian economy and bring about a, uh, a paradise of true economic freedom. So like I said, real piece of shit. Yeah. But great. one thing that, uh, one thing that you got to give the marxists credit for is like their ability to apply scientific principles to social networks. Yeah. And the, the the arrogance of the marxist line of thinking is that you can actually tinker with those systems in a way that makes things better for you. But the fundamental flaw is that the incentives that drive this like acquisition of land by a few powerful people, or the concentration of resources and influence in small groups like those incentives are going to exist as a natural consequence of networks. Yeah. That, that's what this that's what the friendship paradox really is all about. I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with like the quality of person that you are. It doesn't have anything to do with how nice or mean your friends are or how unpopular or popular they are. And it has everything to do with the topology of networks, just the natural scientific relationship between components in a system. And you can you can design all you want. You can tinker all you want. Uh, eventually, if you start trying to use, like, political power, you can make some really, really big mistakes because at the end of the day, you're fighting mathematical laws and you're trying to turn a power law relationship, a curved system, into a linear one, and you, you can't really do that. I mean, it's it's just not it's just not feasible from a political point of view. And the friendship paradox, I think, is probably the most benign example of that. But yeah, uh, it, it's just kind of the way things are, at least yeah. according to game theory.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 sort of a weird thing to me because. When you start to think about like the existence of these graphs and like how the friendship paradox can be used to explain actual scientific phenomena like epidemiology i'm I'm sure people got into this a lot during the pandemic and i had to yell at people about with like why modeling is stupid like yes Mm -hmm. the university of seattle is projecting this but also they have just the same data that we do what they're projecting is stay the fuck inside that's yes. what they're projecting. So but when you look at the actual scientific applications of like the nodes and the graphs and this, this observable, like you say, curved system, when you start applying it to other places and, and it, it kind of, it, when you go back to like the friendship, human choice part of it, to me, using it in science obviously makes a ton of sense, but to describe these people like the Marxists, the, the idea that you can just rise above it and be like, hey, trust me, bro, it's like this. Like, well, stop trying to define shit. It's fine if my friends have more friends than me. I, I didn't know it until you pointed it out yeah,
1: yeah it, it, I mean it's it's okay like it, it it is all right to understand that this is a way of like describing a system and it's not like you're doomed to be unpopular forever right like, and you're no, not unpopular
0: like, no you're not you got plenty right. of friends like you gotta be grateful damn it yeah that's what that's that, that that's like sort of I mean I, I couldn't couldn't agree with you anymore so i want to uh that's going to wrap up our conversation on the friendship paradox a couple things though i wanted to add a couple segments at the end (laughs) because we don't do this enough we i i wanted to do a segment uh called instant replay but it's not gonna be instant replay or some sort of game thing i don't know do over whatever where we go back (laughs) and observe (laughs) Do over extra life Extra, there we go. That's a good one. Um, where we go back and, and talk about other stuff that we've done. There is another cheating scandal that's just been unearthed, Chris. It's about trading cards, like baseball and basketball cards. Somebody just found a bunch of fraud stuff. And we'll have to talk about that uh, coming up in future episode. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's constant. It's everywhere. So our fraudster files. And so we we'll debate it right now on the show, what you want to do next. I am going to pitch you, well, it depends on you. Because I've seen all of these because I'm a compl- like a psychopath about this. I, I like it really um depends on you do you want to watch a documentary series or a documentary you know i'm in the mood
1: for a good like film i haven't seen a a lot of movies recently been doing a lot of of watching shows watching sports like everything is a series now like hit me with a good like two
0: hour documentary the one that i think this guy is i think the most fascinating fraudster ever because it's kind of victimless except for rich people got screwed and they looked really stupid but the guy that did it is a Gene yes in terms His in one particular Robin scope, Hood basically what I want you to watch is called sour grapes and p- sour player three grapes. watch with us sour grapes is about a guy who defrauded elite wine sales by making it appears wine that tasted incredibly similar to shit that was actually worth a bunch of money and hoodwinking like experts for wow. tens of thousands of dollars watch sour grapes so that you can participate in the episode, give your own fraudster rankings. It's going to be great. And that'll be, we're episode 43 right now. That'll be episode 44, 45, 46, somewhere in there. It's going to come up on October. So be ready for the sour grapes fraudster files. But Chris, it is a fall Saturday as we record this and we're going to get out of here. So I, um, I'm ready for my dad now, to be honest. Well,
1: Nick, it is the third Saturday in October. The I want to third. give a shout out to the Tennessee Volunteers. I'm drinking moonshine
0: in honor of the Vols. They're gonna roll Alabama today. Uh, yeah, we'll clip that for social. <laughs> clip that for social. Oh man, like, rate, review, subscribe, all of that. Fraudster Files coming up. We're go. We're weekly now. Um, shit.
1: This is your fault, Player Three. <laughs> it is. You did this. You made us do this.
0: I'm glad you- we have more friends than our friends. Wait, me too. That's not quite how that works.